If you have a preschool through first grader with you and they would like to go to a children's church time for the next 30 minutes or so, they have the opportunity to do that. They can head that, head that direction. So if you would, take your Bible and open to Matthew chapter 13. We continue, we continue our work through the, through the gospel of Matthew. And we've gotten to chapter 13 where we start to get into the parables that Jesus taught. So we're going to spend some time looking at those parables. And so as you open to Matthew chapter 13, we're going to spend a few minutes looking at that together this morning. Let me tell you that when we get to the end of our sermon time, when we get to the end of this time together, we will stand up and we will sing a final song together. During that song, if God is leading you to a point that you need to pray with someone, maybe he's calling you to trust in him for the first time, maybe like something you heard up here on the stage, your life has gone so far sideways, but you know the Lord is calling you back to him and and you need to talk to someone about that, you'll have a chance to do that during the last song. Also, so you'll be aware, during that last song, our offering plates will go around. So if you have a guest card that you need to put in there, a prayer card, You'll be able to do that during that final song. Let me give you a heads up about a couple of things coming. This afternoon at 4 o'clock, choir practice starts back up. So if you are interested in being a part of choir, you can meet up here at 4 o'clock in the choir room just right here around the corner. Also, we are preparing for our fall revival services next week. If you're not familiar with Deacon, and then maybe the word revival comes up, and you think, you know what, I probably did that when I was a kid, but I really don't know what a revival is all about. We are praying that God would bring us personally and us as a church to a place of repentance and renewal. And one of the ways that sometimes he does that, that he works in our lives, is when we gather together for multiple nights in a row to be able to worship and to be able to hear the gospel preached. And so we're going to have that opportunity Next Sunday night through next Wednesday night. Sunday night, next week, we'll gather. There's an optional meal time. I mean, optional and meal don't really go together. There's just a meal time that you're going to want to participate in at 5 o'clock next Sunday night. And then the revival services, Sunday through Tuesday, will be at 6 o'clock here in this room. If you're praying for someone that they would come to faith in Christ or someone you know who's been away from church, been away from the Lord for a long time, and God might use this in a unique way in your life or in someone else's life, we encourage you to be a part of that. Wednesday night, we're going to have a revival service in here, but we'll continue our regular schedule with kid programming and youth programming, our regular Wednesday night meal, but we'll still gather in here for that final revival services. During the week, Sunday night through Tuesday night, we won't have any childcare options. We're just committing to being together here. We know school nights, it's hard for a lot of families to get here for things like this, but we do hope this is something that could be, could be encouraging to you in, in your life and something that the Lord, Lord might use in that way. So I wanted you to be, wanted you to be aware of that up, up front. All right, let's get uh, started in the verses this morning. Let me give you a thought. I'm, I'm sorry to jump off. Let me give you a thought that maybe will, as we read these verses, will help you be in the right, the right place to think about this. Here's the thought. Here's the question. Have you ever really enjoyed something or really been excited about something, but you couldn't get people around you excited about the same thing that you were excited or the thing that you loved? So you went to the restaurant 
the 40th new barbecue restaurant to open in South Oklahoma City and more in the last year. You went to that restaurant and you loved it. And you told everybody else about how much you loved it. And they went and tried it and their response was kind of like, eh, it was all right. No, this was the greatest thing ever. This is the greatest food ever. Why are you not excited about this? Or you're excited about a TV show, and then you go check, and it got like a 40% approval rating on Rotten Tomato, and nobody else in America liked it, but you thought it was the greatest show ever. We have this feeling of, I really love this. This is really important to me. Why does everyone else not get excited about it in the same way? That's one thing when you're talking about barbecue restaurants or TV shows. It's another thing when you're talking about the God of the universe, sending his son Jesus to proclaim the hope of salvation and the power of God's kingdom. What happens when people get excited about that, but not everybody's excited about that? That's the setup to make sense of Matthew 13. Here we go, Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach and he began to speak to them many things in parables. All right, let's focus in on these verses because... There's a particular transition that Matthew is making from chapter 12, everything that's come up to this point, and then what you're going to find in chapter 13 moving forward. Here's the kicker. When it says there at the beginning of verse 1 about that same day, what Matthew is doing is he's wanting us to keep in mind what's come before. And what has come before is that Jesus' teaching and ministry has been going out. And as his teaching and ministry has been going out, what has been happening is you have disciples who are beginning to follow him. You have crowds that are beginning to follow, but they're still a little bit uncertain. And then you have people like the Pharisees and the religious leaders that are beginning to rise up against Jesus. So what you find in Matthew 1 through 12 is the coming of Jesus and the power of the kingdom of God with the message of the kingdom of God, but you also get this— you get growing opposition to Jesus. Not everybody is excited about what Jesus has to say and what he's doing. And so the question begins to arise, why? Has the kingdom of God not really come? If God himself comes with the message of his power and his kingdom and his salvation, if this message is coming, why is everyone else not excited about it. Why do you see this opposition that's beginning to build? These crowds are gathering, but Jesus gets into a boat almost in this type of separation of are they going to stay separate from him or are they going to follow him? The question is, why this opposition to Jesus? What's going on? And so what Jesus does to confront this is he begins to speak to them in parables. Something like this. He spoke to them in a parable saying, One day a revivalist arrived on a college campus to offer a series of revival meetings. And one day, four college students 
who lived together in an apartment decided to go and listen to this revival preacher as he spread the word. So the revival preacher began to speak the gospel, and the first college student heard it and checked out quickly. He was on his phone. He was checking the clock. He didn't grasp why this was so important. The person on stage was definitely not very impressive. And so early on, the first guy checks out. The second guy, though, he hears the revival preacher, and he's excited. This is what he has been looking for. This is the good news that he has needed in life. And frankly, guy number two, he gets excited about everything new. And so here's a new message. Here is a message of hope and peace, and he is excited about it. He responds to the invitation. He says, yes, I want that to be true in my life. He begins to attend every Bible study that is offered. He begins to get involved in every way that he can possibly get involved. But then slowly but surely, he begins to encounter difficulties. Not long after that, his mom dies. Not long after that, he misses out on a promotion at work because of how he talks about his faith. Not long after that, he begins to cool in the way that he feels about this whole Christianity thing that he signed up for so quickly. His enthusiasm's gone, his warmth is gone, his joy is gone, and before you know it, he's checked out too. Guy number three, he hears the word preached at this revival service, and it's good. He's interested, he's intrigued, he needs this. But for guy number three, he also needs success at his job. He also loves the pleasures of the world. And he can never bring himself to break with those things and commit himself fully to the Lord. So he lives in this box over here, this new Christian life that he's really intrigued by. But in this box over here, he lives the rest of his life. And he learns quickly that you can only have one master in life. And before you know it, this box of job success and the pleasures of the world, it has choked out this box, and he's done. Guy number four, the least impressive of all the roommates, the most broken of all the roommates, he hears the message of the gospel and it may not be a quick response, and it may not be a dramatic response, but the good news of Jesus takes up a place in his life, and he begins to find his life transformed. He begins to find his relationships transformed. He begins to see this growth in his life, and something changes that never goes away for him. Matthew chapter 13, verse 3, Jesus spoke to them in a parable saying, a sower went out to sow. All right, kids, if you don't have a Bible, if you're elementary age and you don't have a Bible and you hear the word sower, remember this is not sower like with needle and thread. This is like a farmer sowing seed, okay? So don't you be confused what kind of sower is involved here. This is a sower throwing seed out. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. Think of a hard path. The seeds fell along the path, 
And the birds came and devoured them because the seeds were just vulnerable there on the path. Verse 5, other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Verse 7, other seeds fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty, and there the parable ends. There's going to be another statement we're going to mention here in just a second. So Jesus sets out this parable for the crowds. In your Bible, in verses 10 through 17 of Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is going to explain why he teaches in parables. We don't have time to do that topic here this morning. We did that this past Wednesday night uh, in our Wednesday night worship time. And so if you subscribe to our Emmaus podcast, and that comes through the feed, this past Wednesday night we talked about why Jesus spoke in parables. And so if that's something that's interest to you and you would like to know more about that, I'm glad to send you my notes. You can listen to that podcast. That's going to cover this, 10 through 17. But I want us to think this morning specifically about this parable and what it has to say to our lives. You get that comment there in verse 9, though. There in verse 9, it says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Or even just, he who has ears, let him hear. Why would Jesus add that comment to a parable? It's because of a superpower that I possess in, in my own life. Um, so I have a superpower that I possess in my life. Here's the superpower I possess. I have the ability to hear what my wife is saying even when she thinks that I haven't heard what she said. So we have this little thing that goes on in our house where she will say something and I'll catch 90% of it in, in my ear, but I won't respond. That's not the part to model, okay? That's the part to do the opposite of. I'll I'll just keep doing what I was doing, and she'll say, didn't you hear what I said? And this is my time to shine, because this is when I repeat back to her almost exactly what she said, which both annoys her and makes me just not look cool. So do not model that, that part of my life, okay? But here's what she'll say. Even though you repeated back to me what I said, you didn't really hear me. Because when we hear someone, we respond to them. When we hear someone, we're in a relationship with them. It's one thing to hear a person's words. It's another thing to take that in and then respond to it. This type of ending that Jesus adds to the parables, the reason he's doing that is because this is not just the type of thing you listen to and then go on from. This requires a response. And so he's going to explain this parable to his disciples, picking up in verse 18. Let's see what Jesus says. What is the response? What is the meaning behind this parable? Verse 18, he says again, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. 
important word, but a little bit tricky there. Understand seems to have the idea of take in. So it's not just physical hearing, but there's an understanding, there's a grasping, there's a taking in of that word. When he does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So that seed never began to grow because it was snatched away. It was never truly taken in. Verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. If you've ever seen pictures from Israel, from this area, you know that the soil is very rocky, and not only that, you don't get very far down in the soil before you hit a type of bedrock that, that is there. And so you don't have deep soil in a lot of locations, or it requires a lot of work in order to do this type of, do this type of farming. And so this is when you begin to have some growth of the seed, but there's no depth. The root doesn't go down deep. And so it says when trials or persecution, when difficulty in life comes, when you begin to feel heat from other people because of your faith, pretty quickly that fades away. The third soil, it says in verse 22, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Here we have a possibility of growth. The growth might begin to happen, but the cares of the world, the pleasures and riches of the world begin to come and choke out that spiritual growth that was happening. For this soil, let me point you back really quick to Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, because Jesus said several things like this in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, where he would say, don't lay up treasures on earth for yourself. And he would say things like, you cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or wear. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. The problem with this third soil is not that the soil is not there for growth, it's that we allow all these other things to grow up around us. And we know from personal experience that if you try to serve God and you try to serve the pleasures and the riches of this world at the same time, only one of those is going to be your master. And very quickly, the cares and the riches and the pleasures and then ultimately the deceits of the world will choke out that spiritual growth that was happening. I'm going to ask you a very dangerous question, okay? So pause before answering rhetorically in your mind. Do you know people who fit soil one, soil two, soil three? People who have heard the word and just did not care. It never took root in their house or their life. People who heard the word, and they had initial enthusiasm about God, initial enthusiasm about the Christian life, but there was no depth, it never took root, and so when difficulty came, it was gone. 
People who heard the word and it began to grow up, but all the things of the world began to choke that out. Do you know people like that? Yeah, here's the more dangerous question. What does that look like in my own life? You know, when has that been true of me? Because the way Jesus uses these parables is he uses us to shock us into making a response. When you hear scripture like this, it's so easy to say, yeah, I know somebody like that. <laughs> I can tell you somebody like that. And then we have to think, oh, yeah, but what about me? What is this word saying to me and in my life? What about that fourth soil? Let's look at that fourth soil. Verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and another 30. The background for this idea comes from Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55, look at these verses. They'll sound very familiar to you. This is kind of the background of this. Oh, I may not have them up there. Do I have Isaiah 55 as a slide, guys? There we go. Sorry about that. This is kind of the background for this idea of the soils. For just as rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat, listen to what God says. So my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. The hope is, is that when God's word comes, that there's fruit, that there's growth that happens. So let's take this parable and let's step back for a second and ask what the kingdom connections are that go with this parable. If you are a note taker at all, let me put something in front of you that I hope would be really helpful for you. And this matters for this morning, but this happens for all your future Bible reading. This would be so helpful. When you read the parables in the New Testament, when you read the parables in the New Testament, I want you to think in three ways, okay? Think about what it means to respond to the kingdom message, okay? So the, the parables will have a way in which they confront us with the kingdom of God and what our response is going to be to that. So there's a kingdom element to the parables and will I respond? Will I trust the Lord? There's also with the parables, there's almost always a discipleship aspect to the parables. In other words, the parables will teach us this, what, this is what it looks like to live as a follower of Jesus. So when you read a parable, there's a kingdom aspect to it. What's my response to Jesus as king? There's a discipleship element. This is how the parable teaches me to live as a follower of Jesus. And then usually the parables will teach us something about God's character something about how God operates in our lives and in the world. And so what we're doing is we read a parable. We're looking for what's the kingdom aspect of this and what's my response to Jesus as king. What's the discipleship element? And then what do I learn about this parable? What does it teach me about God's character? So I want to show you here that the primary thing to grasp with this parable is the kingdom response. Do I humbly hear the word of the Lord? Do I repent of sin? Do I believe in Jesus' power to save? And then am I committing my life to him? Hear me clearly what I'm about to say. Be so careful 
about being in a place where you hear the word of God proclaimed and you just say, yeah, not for me. Don't care. Maybe later. That's probably the most dangerous thing we could say is maybe later. Because what happens is the more we turn away the word of God, the more our hearts grow cold and hard toward the word of God. So when you hear a parable like this, my response is, yes, Lord, that is your word, and I will receive that. I will respond to you as king. Be so careful about week after week, year after year, just hearing the word of God and saying no and beginning to push back against it. Do I receive that? Here's the second thing, though. With a parable like this, we have to check our own hearts. What does this parable teach me about being a follower of Jesus? How do I check in on my own discipleship, my own life? I hear the word, I want to understand the word, and I want to act on it. That first soil just received and went on, but am I able to hear the word and I act on God's word? I endured trials and persecution. There's enough of a root in my life. Parents, this is what we're trying to do for our kids. We're trying to give them roots in their lives. We're trying to give them a foundation so that when difficulties come, there's enough there to sustain that growth, that, there, that there's hope, that their lives are rooted in something. I begin to uproot the cares and lies of the world. Do a mental picture with me real quick. Just in your mind, do a mental picture. Here's my life growing in the soil. Put yourself out on a farm somewhere, and here's your life. Then think about a bunch of vines and thorns growing around you, beginning to come around you. Those vines and thorns, those are the cares and the deceits and the pleasures of the world where they begin to choke out the growth that God wants to bring. One of the things that we do in the Christian life, this is just good day-to-day Christian living, is you just reach down and you uproot those things. You say, that is not going to choke out what God is doing in my life. I'm going to pull up those roots so that I can continue to grow as God's called me to grow. And then finally, I begin to display a transformed, fruitful life. This parable is about how do we live fruitful lives? How do our lives produce something for the kingdom of God? When you hear that phrase, fruitful life, it sounds like a strange churchy term. Let me give you a couple of examples from scripture about what a fruitful life looks like. How do I know when this growth is happening in my life? The first is what we call the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5. This is when God begins to do that work in your life and love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control begins to show up and you know that didn't come from your work. That was the work of God's Spirit bringing that in, in your life. Spiritual gifts When God empowers you to serve others and there's an impact from that that could have never come from your own talent or your own ability. God empowered you to be used to build up the church or to encourage somebody else. Good works. Colossians chapter 1 verse 10 describes the work of our life as just doing good deeds, doing things that impact people around us. And then Romans chapter 1, Paul uses this language of fruit in the sense that other people have come to know Jesus because of the impact of my life. So here's the kicker. What does it look like to be that fourth soil? What does it look like to live in such a way that God transforms your life and grows you up and there's fruit that comes from it? Well, I begin to display the fruit of the Spirit. I have spiritual gifts that I use to build up others. 
I begin to do good because I want to serve others, and other people are coming to know and trust Jesus because of the impact of my life. That is what we've been called to, Emmaus. That is what it looks like to be that final group of soil where you see that spiritual growth happening. And then that leads to the last thing. So there's a kingdom response. There's a check yourself type of discipleship. How does this impact my Christian life? And then finally, we learn about God's character in the sense that when you read about the sower, who is this one that sows the seed? Well, ultimately, Isaiah 55 says it's the word of God going out from him, but he uses us to spread the seed. He uses us to share the gospel, which means that when you share the gospel, when you share the good news of Jesus with other people, this parable tells us to expect that not everyone is going to respond positively to that message. Not everyone is going to give their whole life to that message. Does that mean we don't share with people? No, in fact, we continue to spread the seed. We continue to share the good news of Jesus with others. But if not everyone responded to Jesus' preaching, can I tell you that not everyone's going to respond to my preaching, and not everyone's going to respond to your preaching when you share the good news of Jesus? In this parable, the farmer is the same in every example. The seed is the same in every example. The only thing that changes is the type of soil, the type of reception that the word has. So what does that tell us, Emmaus? It tells us to look in our own lives. God, do a work in here, in me, so that that will go out to others, and we are going to trust you to bring the growth. We are going to trust you to save people and to change their lives, but we are going to be faithful in doing what you've called us to do. So here's the thing. What does it look like for you to hear the word of God? What does it look like for you to respond to God? You may be able to sit in this room and say, oh yeah, I hear the word of God. I can repeat back more verses than you know, Owen. That may very well be true. In fact, it probably is true. But have you responded humbly with your whole heart saying, Lord, I trust in you. I give myself to you. Use me. Make me fruitful for your kingdom. Where are you? What does it look like to respond to the word of God in your life? Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? I know we've heard and experienced a lot this morning. It's been a good morning to hear testimonies of God's work, to sing together about our hope in Jesus. But now's the opportunity for us to look in our own lives. God, who am I in response to your word? Who am I in response to your kingdom? God, we know it's so easy for us to get excited about something and then a few months later, that excitement's gone. It's so easy for us to let all the cares and the things that we're chasing in the world begin to overwhelm our lives. And God, we admit it's easy to come into a place like this and just be apathetic. To have a heart that says, thanks but no thanks, I'm going to go on with my own life. 
God, we pray that you would break through that. Break through that in our own lives. Break through that in the lives of our friends and our family. God, we want to live lives that are transformed from the inside out. We want to live lives that are fruitful, but we know we cannot do that in our own power. We do that because you bring transformation, you bring salvation. Father, we trust you, and we pray that you would do a powerful work here at Emmaus through your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 